1: Uh, Stone Door says, it seems like Notre Dame still struggles to land the elite five-star type players. Is a future national championship realistic if Notre Dame can can be balanced and have a great players everywhere or are elite players needed? Elite players are needed. Notre Dame has elite players now. It, this comes down to you're putting two things together that don't belong together. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to ask you this. Who was the elite five-star player on Ohio State's 2014 team? And say, oh, Joey Bosa. Nope. Joey Bosa wasn't a five-star player. Ezekiel Elliott. Nope. Ezekiel Elliott wasn't a five-star player. The only, the only five-star player that I remember starting on that team, and I could be wrong, is Curtis Grant. Curtis was like Grant a, was a five-star just player. Average linebacker. Mediocre yeah. player. Joey, Bo- Joey Bosa was ranked 47th, 53rd, and 56th coming out in the rankings, right? Now that's a really good player. It's not like, oh my God, they missed that one big time. I mean, they thought he was really good. They had him as basically a top 50 player. I mean, you know, he ended up being even better than that. Ezekiel Elliott, again, similar player. He was ranked high, but not an elite national player. He's ranked 70th, 84th, and 109th. I actually did this once to prove my point. Seven of Ohio State's 11 starters on on offense that year were three-star players coming out of high school on the composite list. Josh Perry was not a uh, uh, like an elite five star player. Darren Lee, who was an elite college player, was not an elite recruit. I think he was a three star on the composite list. I'm looking at that now. He was uh, on uh, on three's consensus. He was ranked. He was a consensus three star recruit coming out of high school. So I'd have to look at the secondary. There might have been a guy in the secondary on that team, Ryan, that was was a five star player, but they weren't like the guys on that team. They were like freshmen. I think they had a couple five-star freshmen on that team, but they weren't like the guys. They weren't mm-hmm. considered like the best players in that defense. They were a great team. They had elite players, but those elite players were not all five stars. That's right. the thing I keep telling everybody. Five stars hit at a higher rate. Nobody denies that. So the good thing about landing five-star players is you increase the odds that guys pan out, which is why you've never heard me say, I've I've said this, if you give me a team with 11 Jeremiah Wusu-Koromoa type players and and pick any, you know, Tyler Eiferts, I'm going to have an elite championship team. But you don't recruit that way. You can't recruit that way because you can't assume that all those three stars are going to hit. They hit at a lower rate. That's why what Notre Dame needs to do is increase the rate of highly ranked players from the, you know, again, the perception of what they are or the reality of what those guys are. Higher floor players, people use star rankings, I care more about the floor, regardless of the ranking, but more of those guys that you know have high floors and less of the low floor guys, but there Mm -hmm. still is merit to those low floor, high ceiling guys, because some of those guys turn out to be Jeremiah Koroboas, right? But you also need some guys that you know can go out there and at least be good football players. And so that's the thing for me. And, and now they, Ohio State had five-star guys that played. Raekwon McMillan played on that team. He came off the bench with Curtis Grant. But they were not the best. Their best linebackers were Josh Perry, who was not a top-hundred recruit, and Darren Lee, who was a three-star. Mm-hmm. You need star players. Star players aren't always five-stars. A lot, Would Does anyone want to tell me that Isaiah Foskey is not an elite player? Does anybody want to tell me that? He is. He was, a, he was not a top-hundred recruit coming out of high school. Does anybody want to tell me that Jarrett Patterson has not been a really good player at Notre Dame, You know, potentially elite, not a top-hundred player? Jeremiah Wusu-Koromoa, the one outlet had him as a four-star. That's it. I mean, I could do this all day. You need elite players. Sam Hart. Yeah, you need elite players. Yeah. If you can get them in five-star packages, great. Because what I like about five-stars is, is a, whether the hit rate and draft – but I feel five stars, more often than not, are more ready to play now. Mm-hmm. That's one of the benefits of – because even Jeremiah Moa, for example, a five-star linebacker comes in like Raquan McMillan and plays right now, yeah. right? Comes in and plays right now. Raquan McMillan was physically ready to play as a freshman. He was a part of that rotation that, that Ohio State had. Really, really good football player, right? I believe Raquan was a five-star player, right? Uh, coming out of high school. I'm actually looking that up right now. Yes, he was the number 13 overall player in the country. Really good college player. Where was he picked? Second round, number 54 overall pick. Jeremiah Moa was a three-star kid on the composite who didn't play a defensive snap at Notre Dame for two years because he had to get bigger, gain weight, and all that. He was the second round pick number 52 overall selection. Ended up the same exact place. Great college players, high NFL draft picks, but they got there in a different path. And I think mm-hmm. to me, that's the biggest difference, Ryan, for between four stars and three stars, is that kind of guy. And that to me is where is where I think you need to be. And and the other thing is is you need your where I think Notre Dame has also lacked is they have they haven't spread their elite players out at enough positions. They've been really manifested at a small number, smaller number of positions. The best Notre Dame teams we've seen in recent years are ones that had big-time players. At, you had Kavari Russell corner in 2015. You had Jalen Smith at linebacker, really good D-line. 2018 team, yeah, you had a great defensive line. You had two great inside line. I would say you didn't have two great inside linebackers, but you had a great inside linebacker tandem, right? Mm-hmm. Is that more fair to say? Yeah. Great corner tandem, including one All-American elite player and a great safety tandem, even though they weren't elite players. But you had enough impact elite college players that you had at all three levels that you could have a great defense in 2018. Mm-hmm. So they just got to spread it out more consistently because then the next two years it was it was not that way. There's right. one great player here, but the next I mean, you you had 2019 to 2020, you had a better mm-hmm. linebacker on that team than you had in 2018. Jeremiah Usukor was better than anybody that name had a linebacker in 2018. With all due respect to Tavon Coney and Drew Tranquil, he was a better player. But the linebacker unit in 2018 was better. Yeah. And that's the thing that Notre Dame's got to get better at. It's, it's, you had a great guy like Jalen Smith, but play him next to uh, 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 Luke Keekly, which is what Notre Dame should have had, right? I mean, they passed on Luke Keekly for Dan Fox. And I don't mean any disrespect to Dan Fox. I've heard he's a great kid, played his butt off at Notre Dame, but he ain't Luke Keekly, you know? And so it's make better valuations. And guess who, guess where Luke Keekly was ranked in high school? Not real high. Let, exactly. let me look that one up here real quick. Uh, he was not a really highly ranked guy. John Tenuta didn't think he ran well enough to play at Notre Dame, right? So it just shows you how great Maybe. they did. And then he ran right? 4.58 at the combine. Correct. Yep. And uh, he he was the consensus three-star pick that, that uh, was ranked as the number 563 overall player in the country, right? Guys, just find elite players. Mm-hmm. Now, this doesn't mean that every time Notre Dame gets a three-star, you rejoice and do backflips because he may turn out to be the next Tyler Eifert. That's not what we're saying. Right. And that's not what we said about Ben Minich. Right. I mean, in fairness, but every five star is not going to pan out either. I could tell you right now, there's some five stars. Notre Dame got him. I'm like, that's going to be great for recruiting. But like, I remember when Ohio State signed Tate Martell's like, that's going to be great for recruiting because everybody thinks this kid's a great player, but he's not, you know, help him with recruiting. But what did Tate Martell do in college? Five-star quarterback. he wasn't that good. Right. It's about finding great players with great potential. Some higher floors, some lower floors, and that's the balance you got to strike. And that's not always what Notre Dame did a good job of. They were able to find the great sleeper guys that needed time to develop, right? What they need to do a better job of, and this is where I will embrace what Sonidor is saying, they need to start bringing in some more dudes that can be dudes right now. Mm-hmm. That's the Peyton Bowens, the Keon Keelys, the Jaden Greathouses, the guys like that, right? The Quentin Nelsons, who was a stud by the time he was a redshirt freshman. You know, I mean, that that's the reality. Find great players. I will never say you can win a title with 22 just good players starting. You're going to be a playoff team, but you will not be a championship team. You need stars. You need stars. But those aren't five stars, right? Mm-hmm. If he would have left the five-star part out of this question, may- I'm sorry, assuming it was a he. If he would have left the five-star part out of this, I would have probably been more, yeah, I think you're right, not said as a whole lot. It's the five-star part that gets me. You know, they've got to get more great elite players, but I don't care if they're Jeremiah Wusukor, Mose, and Tyler Eiferts, or if they're Aaron Lynch's and, you know, you know, pick a guy, right? And as a matter of fact, the five stars of Notre Dame haven't hit an incredibly high rate. I mean, Max Redfield wasn't, you know, didn't play to that potential. Aaron Lynch obviously flamed out after a year. I mean, played great when he was here. You know, Jalen panned out, Quentin Nelson panned out, but some of the others didn't pan out. You know, so uh, while other, you know, a two-star Navy transfer named Elohi Gilman turned out to be, you know, one of your better players in the last decade.
0: We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors. According to Indeed data
1: Trade Coffee sent us two new flavors after my wife filled out their quiz. Big City French Roast from Joe Coffee in New York City and Black Velvet from Atomic Coffee Roasters in Massachusetts. The Black Velvet was a dark roast with a note of burnt sugar, graham cracker, and malted milk balls. It was a very rich but smooth flavor that reminded her a bit of her favorite dessert, creme brulee. The Big City French Roast was also a dark roast, which is right up my wife's alley. And it was flavored with burnt sugar, baking chocolate, and roasted almonds. The smell in the kitchen while she was preparing a cup of coffee put a smile on my face, and she said the taste was even better and sweeter. And she didn't pick these flavors. They were chosen by Trade after she filled out a short quiz. you got to give this a try. And Trade Coffee connects customers to the freshest and best-tasting coffee they've ever made at home by partnering with the country's best craft roasters. These are independent businesses from big cities and small towns. Trade customers are truly impactful for these independent roasters, often being the largest source of new growth for them. Trade's coffee team actually taste tests thousands of coffees to keep 450 different kinds live and ready to ship every day. There's no one perfect coffee, but there is a perfect coffee for you and trade's human powered algorithm. will find it trade is so confident. They'll match you right the first time that if they don't, They'll take your feedback, and an actual coffee expert will work with you to send you a brand new bag for free. Right now, Trade is offering new subscribers a total of $30 off your first order plus free shipping and handling when you go to drinktrade.com forward slash Irish. That's more than 40 cups of coffee for free. Get started by taking their quiz at drinktrade.com forward slash Irish and let Trade find you a coffee you'll love. That's drinktrade.com forward slash Irish for $30 off. God Country Notre Dame Barbecue. What can you tell us about Maris Leuphal? He seems to be elusive to the media during their practice time. Is there a reason for this? I don't want to speculate what Notre Dame's reason is. I have asked a million different people about this. I have heard he is not injured. I have been told he's played in all the scrimmages. I just think it's one of those things where we haven't seen a lot. Look, the day after, the last time they had a full media session, Ryan, it was right after the scrimmage. Well, yeah, you're not going to have a guy coming off of a season-ending injury necessarily getting all the reps the day after you had a hard physical scrimmage. I've also been told by some people that they are kind of rotating days when the veterans are coming out and kind of, hey, we're going to pull back the reps. Because remember what Marcus Freeman said at the very beginning of camp? Because we're not going to ask guys to go 80%. It's our job to then limit their reps. So you're not going to say, hey, Marist, Let's take it easy today. No, you're gonna say, "Hey, Maris, we're pulling you out of these drills today, right? Mm -hmm. Mental day for you." And and I actually, I actually kind of like that approach. Hey, let's not wear him down. Let's not overdo it. You know, you've also got to know Maris is kind of a high energy guy. You know, so you got to kind of you know pull that back. Well, you're not gonna pull that back by telling Maris, "Hey, go eighty percent," because you know what? I don't think Maris is capable of that. (laughs) I I don't, and I don't think you should. I think the way he that was such a great comment. I. I never liked the whole, well, we're going 90% today. Well, what does that mean? Like, I mean, do they have a clock that they can, oh, oh, dude, you went 93%, you're overdoing it. I mean, no, you practice how you want them to play. I don't ever want a guy to play at 90%. So if you want them to, to not have as much workload, then take them off the field and put somebody else in there to get that guy some reps, you know? So I think there's some of that. And I think that has led to a lot of speculation, that I just haven't been able to verify. I've literally every single source I've had said, no, I don't know what you're talking about. He seems fine. And if, if that wasn't, if that wasn't the case, they would tell me, and I just would ignore the question because I can't give injury information, but I'm just telling you, everyone has said, no, he's fine. Just like a lot of the other veterans. It's just, they're pulling back on him at times. And I I do think they're Ryan. Do you think maybe there's also maybe a little gamesmanship there too, that how they're using marriage, they don't necessarily want to, because Al Gold's been in the NFL for a minute, and you, mm-hmm. is, you and I both know that NFL coaches make NFL coaches make college p- paranoid college coaches seem like open books. You know, you know what I mean. So maybe there's some games and shit to it too. Maybe you know they just don't want to. They don't want people reporting on you know, hey man, Maris Lufa had three sacks on pressures or something like that today's practice or something like that. Who knows?
2: Who knows? I, th- I think it's like I mean, in basketball, what do they call it? Load management. Like, yes. that's what I think it is, honestly. Yeah. It's like, you kind of know what, well, it's funny. You don't know what Marist is on the field yet, right? But I, the coaches were excited about him last spring, right? And they're excited about him this spring. Right. And I think it's just a, something where it's, you know, you, you have, you have, you have kind of a tangible understanding of what he's going to do, I think. And I, I don't think that there's, I need to push him to the brink because there is still, I mean, he's still coming back from an injury. I know he came back later in the year to practice and all that good stuff, but you don't want to repeat a last year where he gets hurt in fall camp or, you know, in the right. summer whatever it was like you, you want him to be able to be available. So I expect to see Maris Loy foul. I, I, yeah. I, I think that there's more behind the scenes than what is being let on. So right. just leave it at that, I guess. We'll see, though. But yeah, Maris', Maris breakout season is still in effect, folks. It's still right. in effect. Right. We haven't heard anything different. And yeah, yeah. so
1: we'll have to we'll have to see about that. Let's get to the next question. Uh, Hulk Strongest. said, Morning, guys. Let's just say in a perfect world, Notre Dame beats Ohio State just as bad as Michigan did. Do you guys think any recruits might flip to Notre Dame?
2: Immediately? No, not immediately. I think it's yeah. about like, I I think it's about getting things going in a solid direction, right? Like that's, that's more like you're, you're reversing momentum. Anything Hulk strongest, in my opinion, like I don't think there's a player that's like on the fence between Notre Dame and Ohio state. That is, that is committed to Ohio state. That would just be like, Oh, that's the difference maker. Like I'm flipping type of thing. Like, I mean, you can start the transition type of thing, but I, I don't, I don't think that that's like the nail in the coffin, per se. Like, I don't
1: think are so. you saying you don't think of the kids literally back and forth and having trouble deciding that that game may not be an influence oh, no, or are you saying that situation? I, okay. I, I think you're saying I was answering is I don't think there's
2: any player that is in that situation. Okay.
1: Right so yeah. you're not saying like, if they wanted, I'm trying to think of a guy, if they were trying to flip Plus Arville Reese, Bell. right. Yeah. Or something, whatever. I'm just first kid yeah. that popped in my head uh, yeah. that all of a sudden he's going to flip just because they beat him. I agree with you on that. I agree with yeah. you on that completely. If yep. there are some kids like in the 2020, I where I think that game would have the biggest impact is on 2024. So like Notre, Notre Dame's trying to recruit. Some, be there, yeah. And there's so. some DBs from Ohio, Aaron Scott from Springfield. There's, there's a Bryce West, I think is the kid's name from Glenville. Maybe yep. it helps you with them, maybe. Uh I think it has a big impact in recruiting. I think it helps solidify your current class. I think it, it might help you close on some guys. But like what I don't think it does, I don't think it means Jason Moore's calling Notre Dame that Tuesday and says, Hey, I made a mistake. I'm coming to Notre Dame. Right. I don't I don't think it's that. I don't think it's that's that my point. Yep. Could it be yep. a thing that maybe gets Keon Keeley to rethink things? Yes, I do think it could because yep. one of the things that Ohio state or, or Alabama and Ohio state are using against Notre Dame is hey, dude, you want to win a championship? We, we've shown you, we can do that. And right. Notre Dame hasn't beaten those teams in the field. Like they're over against Ohio state, Alabama and Georgia under Brian Kelly's tenure. And the only win they have against Clemson was the one game they played without Trevor Lawrence. <laughs> right. I mean, that's the facts. Say say whatever you want about it, but that's a fact. And so beating one of those teams in a situation where there aren't some asterisk that you can place by it because C.J. Stroud's out or, you know, Jackson Smith and Jigba and Travion Henderson don't play or something like that, then, yeah, that's a a needle mover for those uncommitted kids to where it doesn't mean that Keon calls – this is Ryan's point – it doesn't mean Keon calls Notre Dame the next day and says, hey, you know what, I'm back. But I do think right. it opens up that window and puts that thought in his head, like you know what these things that they were telling me, I can do that at Notre
2: Dame, right?
1: Which is ultimately where I think Keon, deep down in his heart, what it is. I just think he's got some other things that have sort of distracted it from what made him so high on Notre Dame and recruit so hard for Notre Dame for all those years. Mm-hmm. So that's that's what I think about that. So I think we're I think we're kind of saying the same thing, right? I think we're. Yep. I think we're
2: it's about the decision making yeah. process. You have to yeah. plant the idea in the head before you take action. Usually, yep. <laughs>
1: but yep. yes. Chris O'Connell says, hey, what's going on, everyone? First time follower to the show. Welcome, Chris. We appreciate you. We'll be at the home opener on the 10th. So will we? We will be having a tailgate on the 10th. So uh welcome aboard. We we appreciate that. Jason Smith asked, did Kevin Austin use all of his eligibility? No. He could have come back for 2022 and should have come back for didn't 2022.
2: He, have, he had two more years technically, didn't he? Because of 2020. Because no? he, yeah. he was
1: 18, 19, 20, 21, 22. Yeah uh w- would have been his fifth year but technically he could have come back because of the covid yeah. year yes but gotcha. there was no way he was going to go back in 2023 yeah. <laughs> you just wish you could get him to be the other one this is a history yeah. question ryan if you were drafted in war- world war ii what theater of war would you want to go to pacific italian or german All um, you. <laughs> I- i'm not a big fan of boats like i'm uh, so I-, I would not be a I would not want to be in the Pacific. I, I, as much as I would love to be a fighter pilot, and I think they're amazing. I, I don't like heights. So I don't, I don't think that would have been, that would have been great for me. So I, I would have been, I would have wanted to be in the European theater somewhere, you know, I mean, both, neither of those were easy. I'd probably you know, go to the Italian theater. Cause maybe then the food might be a little bit better, you know? So, uh, but true. no, I mean, um, like I said before, my, my grandfather fought in the uh, the Battle of the Bulge. So it's one of the, I think it's one of the areas where he got a, a bronze star. So uh, I've got his uh, military record is one of the things I got when he passed away. I didn't know that. I didn't know he had, uh, actually, let me pull it up. I think he had three, three of those, I believe. But uh, I didn't know that until after he passed away, because he did not like to talk about, um, he did not like to talk about his military history, his time in the military. A whole lot. And we talked, we talked about it a little bit more as he kind of got closer to passing away. Mm-hmm. But um, he, he didn't like to talk about it a lot, to be honest with you. But um, like he uh, he had a before, maybe about a year before he passed away, he actually had a box of a lot of souvenirs, not souvenirs, but just mem- memories from then. And one of them was a swastika patch that he took off of a dead German soldier, not in any kind of way to revere it, but just more of like a, this is what we fought against kind of thing. You know, this is what we were up against. It was a symbol of hate. And, and, and that's what I think, a, something that that he had mentioned to me is like, that was the thing that they had a hard time grasping after the war, when things started coming out about what happened with the Jewish people and things like that. It's like, you had a hard time understanding how people could have so much hate towards, you know, towards a group. And I, and I don't know if Americans really thought, like really grasp that until they got over there and just saw the, because I mean, people that have that kind of ideology, Ryan, I mean, they're, they're going to, I mean, they're going to be a breed of people that like, you know, they're not backing off of it just because you make a good sound, rational argument, you know, to go that deep into the, the, the level of hate, you're just not going to, mm-hmm. you're just not going to go, go back from that. But I'm, I'm trying to find the, um, trying to find that picture that i have and i can't find it but um yeah i would probably say the italian theater or german theater for me i would have i would have been a much better on the ground you new know, guy i don't think i would have been much of a soldier anyway which is why i didn't join the military but if i was drafted which is what the question was i think i would have been better in one of those i i don't know are you a boat guy around like do you like being, i don't like being out in the ocean I, i'm just oh, it's okay i like cruises I, it's like indifference. Yeah.
2: I, I'll go on one occasion, yeah. but it's not like I fiend to go on a boat or whatever. But. I'll
1: handle a cruise because, I, number one, I can kind of remind myself as much as possible that I'm not on a boat, but it just seems I, bigger. It doesn't really seem, feel so. like you are. So. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But like being out on boats in the ocean, like I'll go, I, I, you know where I like boats? I like boats and like rivers and stuff that I can swim to shore. That's that's yeah. my thing. We're really. like, I don't want to be on a boat where I'm out and I'm like, okay, I'm not swimming to shore and I'm getting eaten by a by a shark or, you know what I mean? Like just- no, sorry. I probably shouldn't have I like watched kayaking. Charles as a kid. I think that kind of jack. But, yeah, if, if your thing goes over, you can swim to shore, though. I mean, that's – unless exactly. you get bashed in the head on a – going around a, a corner. But, yeah. Anyway, yep. so that's, that's my stance, Rob. Interesting question. Dave, country boy, what is your opinion on how many sacks will the defense have against Ohio State? We kind of talked about this a little bit yesterday, Ryan. You want to take a shot we at did. that?
2: Yeah, I said, I said I thought that the number is a little arbitrary because I think it's more about the amount of pressure that you have on Bryce Young, like force him into bad mistakes, get, getting some hits on the quarterback, pressures, hurries, all that type of stuff. But I think I threw out three and a half as the number, and I went over three and a half. And I'll, I'll still stick to that, but I'm much more concerned with how I'm affecting him in the pocket than I am necessarily getting him on the ground. Like It, it matters, of course. Like I want to get him on the ground in, in – Certain situations, obviously, but I'm much more worried about just rattling him a little bit. So I think pressures, hurries, those types of things matter more. But I set the over under three and a half and I said I would go over. So about four ish is a good number, I think.
1: All right. Tony Spagnuola, I never found out this answer, but why did Tyler Buckner not play in the Oklahoma State game? Was he hurt or did the staff want to showcase Cone before the draft? I have not heard the answer to this, but I've heard some rumblings that it was the latter hmm. that they just, and Marcus Freeman said it like this game is about sending the seniors out. Right. Yeah. And, and I, and then I think by the time Oklahoma state kind of had gotten some momentum, it was like, well, now you need to kind of rally back. But like, I think there's this notion that if you put Tyler Buckner in the game, all of a sudden things change. And I don't think that's true because Tyler Buckner's not some and he's not Barry Sanders, right? There was a comment earlier about Barry's. He's not a guy that, okay, no one's blocked, but I'm going to go do this crazy thing where I'm going to go make this play even though no one's – I mean, they were getting their butts absolutely destroyed in the trenches in that game. Yeah. I don't care who you had at quarterback. At least Jack could get the ball out to people, you know. And But I think it was just more about this was going to be Jack's game. And that's why they didn't bring Tyler in in the first half, and, and that's why I don't think they were going to make that change at the end. This was going to be Jack's game. Jack – Went through a lot last year. Kept his mouth shut. Kept battling. Kept plugging. Shrugged off all the criticism, all the calls for Tyler to be the Tyler to be the guy. Cheered on Drew Watt, Drew Pine when Drew replaced him against Cincinnati. Was he happy about it? No, but he was he was a, he was a good soldier, so to speak. Because we just had that that World War II reference. I think it was just about doing right by Jack. That's what I think yeah. it was about. Right. And I also keep telling people, don't worry too much about it, because there was things that Marcus Freeman was doing in that game beyond just trying to win the game. Did he want to win the game? Yes, of course he wanted to win the game. But mm-hmm. there were some other things that were a little bit more important to than that. Like, let me see what this coaching staff can do. Let me right. see who can handle this kind of thing. And he eventually did take over from what I'm told in the second half, or at least made some for some adjustments on defense. But I think that game told him a whole lot about, OK, I got to go outside the program to find me a defensive coordinator. And mm-hmm. you know, if he would have taken over that game, would it have really answered that question? Would he have really known where the staff was in that regard? I don't think he would have. Right. I don't think he would have. Yeah. So,
2: and it's not like Jack Cone was the problem in that game. I mean, he threw for five hundred something yards, right? <laughs> like, it's it's exactly. not like he was like a oh man, that guy stinks, and I can't believe they didn't put in the other backup. Yeah. Like I mean, he threw for five hundred something yeah. yards, so
1: and he, he played pretty well. He had a couple misses. the uh, The interception was not a good throw. And early – it ended up not hurting him, but the drive where he hit Lorenzo Stiles for that touchdown pass, Braden Lindsey actually – I mean, just torched a kid off the line. I mean, it wasn't even – he didn't even put a move on him. He just literally – the guy was kind of playing – they were playing tight all game into the to the field, but they were playing – like they weren't pressing and jamming. And Bray just came up and just, like, ran right by the – he did about three or four times in the first half. Just ran – literally just ran straight by a dude, and just by multiple steps. Go back and look at that first drive and look at how bad Braylon just ran past that Oklahoma State corner and Jack just underthrew it big time. If he leads him – if he th- makes a throw he threw to Kevin Austin against Florida State, that's a touchdown. But he bounced back a couple of plays later and hit Lorenzo Styles for a touchdown.
2: I I know those that the secondary played pretty well as a unit for Oklahoma State, but like individually, the corners were not very good in mm-hmm. my opinion. Like mm-hmm. Bernard Converse was a pretty solid football player, but like Christian Holmes was just right. kind of a he's guy. he's at LSU now, right? The four, first guy you mentioned, Jer- he transfer yeah, to LSU? Jer- Bernard Converse, yeah. he's starting at LSU most likely. And, and Tanner
1: yeah. McAllister was a nice player, solid, uh, you know. But I mean, he, I mean, Lorenzo smoked him. I mm-hmm. mean. So no, in the in the Big Twelve last year wasn't what it had been in previous years. It wasn't the juggernaut offensive league that it had been in previous years. Uh, and you know, and they and they had a great. I mean, their pass rush. This is what we talked about earlier, Ryan. That pass rush made that secondary look a lot better than it was. Hundred percent. Okay, let's get to some more. Let's see, Tyler Evans. What is one thing do you think that will kill college football? I think it's already happening, and that is is that as long as
2: it's about making more money, nothing else matters. Especially with people that are not going to set standards or boundaries or anything. Like it's, it's something I think the NCAA is going to kill college football. (laughs) I guess really like they're not until they, they have some type of standard in place, man. Like it is just the wild, wild West and it's not going to, it, it, because we saw, and this was more, I forget what sport it was, but there's a, a, young uh, no it was malachi nelson malachi nelson just signed with it with a sports agency and it's like clutch
1: sports right i think it was
2: clutch yeah and if if agencies are starting to get involved in this guys then it is going to get way worse before it gets any better because the ncaa until they put some standards or regulations on it i mean if you think if you think that parents are money hungry or relatives are money hungry wait until agents get involved like it is going to get awful they're going to want more upfront money Yep. Then they're going to want these kids not play their junior years.
1: Yep. It's, it's, it's going to, it's going to be bad. Now, listen, I'm all for maximizing revenue as long as it's done within the framework of are we staying true to what this game is about? I am all about creating opportunities for players to make money off their name, image, likeness. Big supporter of that. But it's got to be done the right way. And the way it's going now, it's, it's, you're negotiating contracts, you're not actually getting deals to, make money off of your name, image, and likeness. And uh, that to me, greed is really what it comes down to, right? There's nothing wrong with making money. Every decision we make is built on how can we make create a stable business at Irish Breakdown, right? Because it's a business, but it's always done with, but it's got to be true to the product. The product, there are things that we could do that would make us more money. There are articles that Ryan and I have talked about we could write. They're like, nope, that's not who we are. Right? And we both agree, which is why we're working together. But it would make us more money. There are there are things I could report that would completely burn sources of mine that I promise you would get hundred thousand page views, and that would make me a lot of money. It's not worth it because we're going to stay true to what we believe in is what makes Irish Breakdown special, and we've lost sight of that in college sports. It's no longer about the tradition of the game, creating developing young men. Nobody cares about that anymore. No, the national media does not care about what type of young people we're creating anymore. Ah, right, get them money. Uh, okay. How about you guys do an expose on whether or not these kids are going to class, whether they're getting real educations? You know what I mean? Like, how about we do that? Nope. Can't. Sorry. Cause that's, that's going to hurt our, 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 our money maker. And that's what's to me killing college football. And this, again, this is not a, I'm against making money. I'm not. I actually think there's things they do if they were smart, they're trying to go for the easy money. I think there are things that the NCAA was really smart and if ESPN was really smart that they would do things differently that would make them even more money. But it would be a little bit more risk involved because you can't guarantee you don't you don't you know the model of a 14 team platform, you know the money that's gonna make. You know, some other things would create more. So I think it's I think it's greed, Ryan. And you whether it's NCAA or it's just it comes down to one thing, it's greed. Mm-hmm. Mike Reddy asks, I'll ask you this, Ryan, which freshman do you think will have the biggest increase in snaps from the beginning of the season to the end of the
2: season? One of the corners, uh, Jaden Mickey, probably like, I think he'll mix in early on, but I think by the end of the season, he could be playing significant amount of snaps uh, potentially. And that's not even a shot at Clarence Lewis. That's just like a general maturation that I think that Jaden Mickey is on that trajectory. Like I think that he's going to be able to challenge for one of those spots. So I, I would say one of the rookie corners, uh freshman corners. So Tobias Merriweather would even be in the conversation potentially. Sure. On offense, but I, I th- yeah. Yeah. But I, I think that for me, I would I would go Jaden Mickey in this in this conversation.
1: I understand why you would say Tobias Merriweather, and that was my gut reaction on offense too. Mm-hmm. Uh it, it would be, you know, because Tobias is gonna play early, but he's gonna continue to play even more, you know? Mm-hmm. And but I actually think it's gonna be one of the tight ends. I think one of the tight ends is maybe going to play a little bit against Columbus, but one of them at least, and it could be both, is going to be playing a lot more by the end of the season. And another guy, I agree with your your corners, but I think another guy to keep an eye on is is um, obviously Junior 2 Alamaka. Because mm-hmm. I don't think he's going to play a ton against Ohio State. I don't think he is, but I think by the end of the year, he's going to be playing a lot. It doesn't mean he's going to be beating out J.D. Bertram. I think he's just going to play more. He's going to have a bigger role That's as the one. season goes on. Yeah. Uh, Tyler Smith at Smith asked, would you prefer to have Lindsay as an inside receiver or the outside considering hit the speedy brings? He's an outside guy outside
2: outside, clearly. 100%. Yeah, he
1: is. I want him vertical. I want him in. I want him on taking the top off. I want him running. I want him running this way or this way as fast as he can. That, that's what I want. Pray. Lindsay doing
2: Cause I, I think, I think he, he changes directions. Okay. But like, he's a straight line player right. more than he is like a quick twitch player. Right. right. Like, so yep. put him on the outside and, to the to your point about taking the top off, you can take the top off from the slot too, but like it's easier to take the top off on the as an outside receiver.
1: Yeah, you want a little bit more of a shifty guy or a bigger yeah. guy, and he's not either one. of Not that he's again, he's not stiff. He's not. It's just his game is vertical speed. Yes, vertical speed speed. That's the key. Running that's point A to a point B to as fast as he can. That's right. Game and that's right. Nothing wrong with that. Nothing wrong with that. But to the point is to Ryan's point, it can be utilized better outside than it can be inside. Yep. Next question, Ian Johnson, how do you think the CFB landscape would be different in the Big Ten if the Big Ten didn't end up playing football in 2020? It's a good question. How would the landscape be different if the Big Ten didn't end up playing in football in 2020? Ian, I think you kind of stumped me a little bit. I'm trying to think. Part of me says that I don't think it would have changed much because you still would have had college football. Because the reality right. is, is once the ACC decided to play, I think you know what's funny is the best way to describe the twenty twenty season is with the SEC shorts clips because they had mm. two of them, and the first one was the SEC is going it alone. You remember? Did you ever see that SEC shorts clip, Ryan? Yeah. The Big Tens yep. going crazy. You can't do this. It's nuts, right? And then the ACC jumps on board. You know that girl played. You know that the, the ACC jumps on board, and then the Big 12's like, because oh, that's exactly what happened. The SEC said we're playing, mm-hmm. and then the ACC largely because of Notre Dame, decided to play. Notre Dame had a yeah. big influence on the ACC playing that year. And then once the ACC said we're on board, then the Big 12 jumped on board. And that at that point in time, the season was on. You were going to have mm-hmm. a season. Well, then the Big 10's like, well, we can't not play. All right, and then the Pac-12 was like, what are you doing, Big 10? Okay, we'll follow along. And that's what I loved about the SEC shorts, because you had that kind of nerdy-looking dude that was just doing whatever the Big 10 said, which is like so true. At the time, anyway, I don't know if it's the same way now. They got a new president, but at the time, it was definitely true. And then the second version of that SEC clips thing was like after week one, and you got the Big 10 12 guy like thrown up. Cause remember, they had those upsets in week one where all the Big 12 teams got beat.
0: Mm-hmm. Uh,
1: but then then the Big 10 comes strutting down the highway. <laughs> You're like, oh, we're with you now, you know, that kind of thing. Uh, but I, I mean, ha- had they not played, I think it would have, I think the landscape would have changed. Cause I think it would have hurt the Big 10 in a big, big way they'd have lost a ton of revenue i think that they would have they would have been in a tough financial bind which interestingly maybe would have expedited some of the moves they, they moves they've already made i mean part of the reason that they're pushing these deals are happening as quickly as they are is because there's a lot of teams that need the money influx sure because they're they're still hurting from the covid i mean notre dame is as soundly as they run their institution they suffered during the covid i mean they did during the covid stuff because there was people laid off and you know, sales, different things like and, that yeah and yeah, so yeah yeah ticket sales are a big one you know, they yeah. made more tv money but they lost millions by not selling tickets the yeah. games there's just a lot of different things you didn't have vending you i mean just a lot of those things that you lost part i mean think about all the money they make in the just on it's like a hundred dollars to be in the joy slot you know, hundred some dollars to just get a parking pass in the joy slot and think you know, all the cars that are, people are taking. So mm-hmm. uh, everybody suffered, but some of those conferences are, suffered even more because of just how they just, they live outside their means. And that's, that's what people say, how do athletes go broke? And it's, it's some of it's, they get manipulated and they, but a big part of it is you're spending every dime you have. Right. And when you stop making the amount of money you have, your expenses don't go down all of a sudden. You're like, well, I got, I've got, you know, I'm living a lifestyle that requires me to make five million dollars a year, but I'm making one million dollar a year. Okay, you got problems, oh, great. <laughs> right? So that's a problem because people are gonna say, hey, man, you know, don't worry about paying your bill. We understand your contract. Well, no, they're gonna say, hey, man, I want my money, mm-hmm. and that's how it's gonna be, and that's that's why you gotta be smarter and live within your means and save for the future to a degree. Live your life, but save for the future. That's my advice for you, right? Mm-hmm. All right, here's a good one. Robert Bishop asks, if I saw a clip of receivers practicing catching low balls and off script throws, is this an example of Stucky thinking outside the box or do most receiver coaches emphasize this? Okay. Here's the thing. It's great by Stuckey's doing that. Um, I did that. Right. I mean, I would do drills around to have guys on their knees and I would throw the ball low and they'd have to work on getting their hands low and then rolling their chest underneath it. Right. You know, that's simulated dive. You don't just catch the ball and let it hit the ground. You have to catch your ball and then work on rolling. They weren't going to roll like that in a game, but if their thought right. process was that they were going to roll enough to where they'd be able to protect the ball. Sure. Right. Because D3, we didn't have replay. We had to make sure that the refs got it right the first time. You work on those things. Most receiver coaches do work on those things to a degree. How seriously mm-hmm. they take it is going to determine whose guys are really good at catching off balls. I've seen Chansey Stuckey doing a lot of that stuff in the clips that Vince and the guy send me from fall camp. It mm-hmm. is ridiculous. That people are looking at this like, wow, is this a new thing? Is this something most coaches do? Because they weren't doing that. I mean, it's it's.
2: <sighs> oh, they're, they're they're working against press coverage. <laughs> Who would have? <laughs> wow, they're they're working. Yeah.
1: Oh my god. Okay.
2: They're working oh, on goodness. releases. Wow, Brayden Lindsay has yeah. a release package as a fifth-year yeah. player. Wow. Mm. Oh, Super chat from Alan
1: Watson. Alan, thank you very much. Is the, the, do the Irish need a dominating win against Ohio State to get national respect, or will they accomplish the same if we just eke out a win? I think we need at least one dominating win between Ohio State and Clemson to get respect. I don't agree with that. I just think they need to win. I think you need to win. Just win. Yeah. Nobody yeah. cared that, that, that Clemson only beat Notre Dame by two. That, yeah. They got a huge boost from that just by winning. Same thing with beating Alabama the next year. It, it wasn't about style points. It's, wow, they beat Bama. Wow, they beat, yeah. you know. It's about winning. I mean, look at how people reacted about Notre Dame after they beat Clemson in double overtime without Trevor. The, yep. Notre Dame got a lot of love the next few weeks for that, a lot of love for that. Of course, it all evaporated when they got curb stomped in the ACC title game. But they got a, even with all the circumstances. Notre Dame got a lot of love. If Notre Dame goes into Columbus and beats Ohio State thirty-one to thirty,
2: mm-hmm.
1: they'll get a ton of love for it. Now Just they'll win, always be the haters. They could win by third if. If they win by 30, Paul Feinbaum is going to say, well, Ohio State's clearly overrated. In but who cares what he thinks? I'm saying most people that are care about being objective will, will give them credit. I don't care how many points they win by. There's no mm-hmm. doubt. Same with Clemson. Just win. That's the key. Just win. Just I don't, win. I don't, I don't care. We're talking about the great Miami game in 1988, how that was the game that really put Notre Dame on the map that year. They won by a point. I don't care. Win. Just win. That's all you need to do. Just win. Thank you for the Super Chat, by the way. Josh Klein, with the Super Chat. I don't think we have the real Tyler Buckner. He just seems like a gamer, a different player in the game. Yes, he practices hard, but a switch goes off in a game. I think That's there's cool. something to that. I think there's yep. something to that. But he has – I mean, look, I kind of feel like maybe this is a comment in reaction to some of the other things being reported, Ryan. But from everything I've heard from sources, from my guys that are at practice, Tyler Buckner has been really good at most practices. And especially this is coming from sources, especially since he was named the starter. You heard the Notre Dame players talking about that, too. Defensive players also. Brandon Joseph made a comment like ever since he's been named starter. No, was it Michael Mayer? One of those two guys like ever since he's been named starter, he's raised his game to another level. So that's what I'm hearing. Other people aren't. And that's okay. It's all right. I've had like there's been some reactions to Okay, I'll just say it. Tim Priesters had some comments about how he just he hasn't been impressed. That's okay. Right. That's his opinion. That's what he's seen. I respect him. I got a great deal of respect for Tim. This isn't some conspiracy where he hates Tyler Buckner. People can see things differently, right? Our guys see it differently. My sources say one thing, His, but it's okay. Not everything is a, is a battle of, Oh, this guy has a different of opinion than we think. So let's crush him. Let's destroy him. Call him a hater. It's just not that way. See things differently. I tend to not agree with him based on what my guys are telling me who I trust who, who know football, that was not a shot at Tim. I'm just saying, I'm just speaking, extribing my guys and my sources. Uh, everybody's fired up about Tyler right now. And they weren't as fired up in the spring because of the fact that, you know, he it was spring. It was evolving process. I just don't care what he does in the spring. I care about what he does in fall camp. Spring is about mental, Ryan, and getting into rhythm. And it's yeah. the mental part. Fall is mm-hmm. when you get your timing and your accuracy
2: and your decision-making down. So... The, The one thing to the gaming gamer narrative, though, I'll say is that the one thing that I keep reiterating about Tyler Buckner is I think that he's one of those kids that just is kind of the same guy all the time. And Mm -hmm. that is big for the mental side of the quarterback position. You know, like there's some guys that I think their highs get too high and the lows get too low. And uh, Tyler Buckner is not a player that I think fits that description. I think that will be able to handle some adversity some down moments i think he'll be kind of the same guy throughout there that's why i have a lot of confidence in him not just because i think he has a good arm and he's a really great athlete mm-hmm. and all these things but i i think that he gets it from the mental side of things which gives me hope gives me a lot of hope yeah. for the year for the future for him
1: yeah i think that's a part that you're right ryan is is not getting enough love it's yeah. it's he's a he's a smart football player yeah, like, uh, he's a smart football player. And we'll, we'll see that. We'll he see. He's just, that he just like
2: one of those kids. that just seems like he knows how to carry himself. Yeah. You know, like he just yeah. is, is mature, very mature for his age, right. I'd say. Yep. Sean S with a super chat planning on day
1: of post game shows this year. Absolutely. So we'll just say it now, we're going to have a Monday, two Monday shows, two Tuesday shows, two Wednesday shows, two Thursday shows. We'll get into the specifics of those here next week. We will have a Friday show. It's going to be a prediction show this year, not a mailbag. Our mailbag is now going to probably be Wednesday night uh, with Sean on Wednesday nights, so that is probably going to be our mailbag night, and and then we're going to have our Friday's going to be predictions for Notre Dame games and a couple key games that weekend. Saturday, 10 a.m., will be our, and we're going to start that tomorrow, will be our, our IB countdown to kickoff. We'll preview the Notre Dame games and then the biggest games, of the college football weekend, After the game, we will have a post-game show. It'll be me, Ryan, Sean Davis, and Vince most weeks. Some weeks one of us may not be there, but the plan is for us all four to be there as much as we can. And then Sunday night, it's going to be 7 p.m. on Sunday nights, Vince and I are going to have an upon further review. We're going to get in the film room, break down the film, kind of talk about some things that we noticed after breaking down the film going to try to get a couple technologically technological things going for that game that we'll hopefully be able to do and still be monet still monetize it uh, but that is our plan as of right now so we will have post game shows we're gonna have a lot more video content this year than we did last year there's no doubt about that we will also continue the daily mailbags we are not going to do a lot of three-hour shows during the season but you know hour for the first part hopefully like about an hour for the for the mailbag and then you know we'll get back to rocking and rolling so uh, we will definitely have a lot of content for you. And then uh, there's a couple of things we're planning, but I don't want to say it because I don't want to promise something I can't deliver. I've already done that too many times here this past year with things that I wanted to do, but just other things come up and just can't get quite get to it. But um, that is that is uh, our plan as of right now. Th- those things that we just said, those are definites we've already scheduled them. We're already set. We're already rocking and rolling with those. Uh, so that's what we'll be doing in season. So good question, Sean, and gives us a chance to talk about it. Richard Evans with a Super Chat. Who gets the last spot in the playoff, in your opinion? A uh, a one close loss to Ohio State, Notre Dame, or a one loss Georgia in the SEC championship? I I I need a little bit more context than that. Um, yeah, how convincing were Notre Dame's wins? How convincing were Georgia's wins? Yeah, you said it was a close loss for Notre Dame. Was it a close loss for Georgia? I think there's a lot of different factors that I would need, Richard. So. My guess would be a, a a Notre Dame losing a close game to Ohio State. In my opinion, if they run the table, Ryan, I just don't see them not being in the playoff. I just, I just don't. I think they're a playoff team. If they, if they have that scenario where they go 11 and one beat Clemson, beat USC beat what BYU beat all those teams. I think, I think you're barring Ohio State losing two games the rest of the way. I think those are two playoff teams. It, I'm still working on my final playoff predictions this year. Uh, haven't made them officially yet, but I'm leaning actually towards potential rematches. So like the playoff being four teams that have all played each other in the regular season. I'm just one of my fourth team. I'm having a hard time with, I'm having a really hard time with, so we'll, we'll see, but I, I would lean towards Notre Dame being the the, the winner in that one. Cause I, yeah, based on history as well. When Notre Dame's a one-loss team with that kind of loss, and then run the table, they're usually in the top four at the end of the year.
2: And, and you and you got the loss out of the way in the beginning of the season, which gives, which gives you time to, right. you know, kind of right. right the ship, I guess, if you want to say it Correct. that way, or ride momentum into the Correct. into the the playoffs. Yeah, right. So well,
1: I mean. Yeah, and you say, well, you know, one lost Notre Dame team last year didn't get in over Georgia, who lost, but yeah, but that Notre Dame didn't beat anybody, there. right? I mean, it's yeah. it's, a, it's, a, it's a fair initial response, but like they didn't beat anybody last year. Right. Their one loss was an embarrassing eleven point home loss to Cincinnati, right? This is a yes. close road loss to Ohio State, so we'll have to see. We'll have to see. Maltavius yep. asked with well, a super chat. Thank you. Happy Friday. Thank you, Maltavius. Uh love the picture of his kid in there with the Irish breakdown hat on, by the way. Oh yeah. Is there any way we really lose a bit the big game on 9-3 by 18 points or more asking for a friend to go Irish, uh, Lou Holtz? So I,
2: um I'm thanks. I'm not gonna predict a victory, but I would be shocked if it was a lopsided game, either yeah. way. That, I'm just gonna leave it like that. Like I just I'd be very surprised. I have a lot. I have confidence in this Notre Dame team. Again, not predicting a victory, but I I think it's going to be a good football game. And losing by 18 or more is not a good football game. Like, that's just not. So, it's not the only way I
1: I would say it is if it was something crazy late, like the Wisconsin game, where, like, you know, you fumble because you're trying to go in or you turn it over on downs as your own 35 with two minutes left. And you know they they go down and punch it in to go up eleven, and then you know you throw a pick six at the end of the game. I mean, I just I'd be shocked. Now, if you listen to a lot of the Ohio State videos, it's it's just a like they really think Notre Dame sucks. Like they I do. I I like they don't know how to pronounce kids' names. They don't have any clue what they're looking at in a lot of instances. But they they think that this is. Like, honestly, if it was a 14-point game, there's going to be people that cover Ohio State who thinks that's a bad win for Ohio State. I, they should have beat them by more. I mean, it is nuts. Like, even Georgia fans had some level of respect for Notre Dame going into that game, and even more coming out of both of those games. But for Ohio State, there is zero – I mean, they think they're playing Indiana. And they really do. They think they're getting ready to play Indiana. It is the wildest thing that I've seen. And, and and that's someone who grew up in Ohio. Like I know they're an insane and it is, I mean, oh my gosh, it is
2: wild. It is wild. Every, every part of fan bases are insufferable no matter who it is, but like it has been magnified. It's the lack of since. knowledge that I hear from so many
1: of them. Like it's one thing if you're a Homer and you, you know, hey, I, I'm always picking them to win. Like they can barely sure. pronounce kids names. They have like no context for who these kids are. I mean, it's just, it's, it's wild. It's wild. Uh, I mean, it just, it's a lot of nuts. A lot of
2: them don't even know who the starting quarterback is. No, like, uh, their,
1: their new quarterback is Tyler Buckner. You know, no concept. He was a top hundred recruit. No clue yeah. who Isaiah Foskey is. It's just, it's why it's wild. Wow. Spe- yeah
2: and archer just said you know the uh the big game boomer guy said you know yeah. produce better So a lot of people on twitter also just look at those lists and like oh yeah. man notre dame had that fluky 14
1: point win over purdue last year you know yeah. you know how that goes shelton hager says i've been uh, thank you for the super chat shelton hope you and your family are doing really really well man uh, always thinking about you i've enjoyed all the recruiting stuff for the last few months but boy am i excited about watching and talking about some actual football games man you have no idea no idea how fired up I am to be able to focus more on the team now and less on the recruiting stuff. I mean, Oh my gosh, Ryan, it it is. And you're a recruiting guy right now, man. It's your job, but man, there's nothing like football games. There's nothing like college football games, man.
2: Yeah. The the end of the end of this summer got a little like, Oh man, football needs to happen. (laughs) Yes, (laughs) Yes,
1: Yes, it does. Yes, it does. There's no doubt about it. Oh my goodness. Yes. All right, let's get last couple. I'm gonna, I am I know the question I'm ending the show on. There is no doubt about it. I know exactly the show I'm ending on, Ryan. I think you know, if you go to the start section, what, sh- what question I'm answering uh, last. Uh-oh. Archer says, both late kick and CFB nerds did not have Notre Dame in their preseason top tens. Do you think it's disrespectful or do you think the skepticism is valid? I don't think it's either one of those things. And here, here's my thing. I've, I used to listen to the CFB nerds and they used to have a different name and I don't think they're disrespectful. I just think they're misguided. I don't think they like, I've watched them say things about Notre Dame that I'm like, dude, that is not the team I study And it doesn't pan out the way that they panned it out. But I remember watching them. Uh, I think the guy that you never see, you only hear him. He gets disrespectful towards Notre Dame a little bit. I'm not gonna lie sometimes, but I don't mm-hmm. think it's intentional disrespect. I just don't think he thinks Notre Dame is any good. He always say things like speed. Like he still lives in like the 1990s version of Notre Dame or the Charlie Weiss version of Notre Dame, where like they're not fast yeah. and and doesn't realize like Notre Dame hasn't been slow for like a long time outside of the 2020 team because of Kevin Austin got hurt, right, Lindsey got hurt. I mean, you had a lot of injuries on that football team. Yeah. They they have that hasn't been a real criticism in a while, in my opinion, where it's really valid in a while, and and so. But the other guy, the guy that, whose face you see all the time, he predicted the Georgia game in 2019. I think it was like 26 to 27 to 21. That's kind of right how the game played out. I mean, it, it played out exactly how it went. I don't think it's disrespectful. I just think it's incorrect. I, I don't think it's. I don't think the skepticism is valid either because what I have found is people are picking apart Notre Dame's warts while ignoring Texas A and M's. And ignoring yeah. Michigan's and ignoring Clemson's. And I mean, you're taking teams who were worse than Notre Dame last year, who lost even more than Notre Dame lost from their roster last year, like AM, and and saying they're going to be better than Notre Dame. So I think it's just more of the, the the Notre Dame bias, but I don't think it's intentionally disrespectful. I have not listened to Josh Pate much, John, Ryan. I don't know if you've ever really listened to him. From everyone that I know that listens to his show, they say he tries to be fair. He's not some guy that gets on there and takes shots and you know does yeah. the clickbait. So I've never, no one's ever, I've never heard anyone accuse him of that. And the couple shows that I did watch of him, I didn't agree with everything he said, but I thought he's very fair. He made good arguments. He he seems to know the game. I respect that. Right. Mm-hmm. We can have a difference of opinion at that point in time. So I don't think either one of those people are disres- disrespecting Notre Dame. I I think the people that uh, that cover Ohio State that are like. Yeah, you know, probably like at least a 21-point win. Like, you're getting ready to play Indiana, you know, start the game. What was funny is I went back and watched their stuff about Oregon last year, and one of the guys predicted a 35-point win over Oregon. Like, 35? 35. 35 <laughs> point win over Oregon. So it's like, okay, it's not just Notre Dame. They're just homers. I don't think it's even necessarily disrespect to Notre Dame. It's just they think Notre Dame sucks. You know who else they think sucks? Everyone else not named Alabama. Sure. I mean, that's just the reality of it. So I don't look, guys, every time someone disagrees with you doesn't mean it's disrespect. It just means they're misguided. If if you believe what they're saying to be inaccurate, it just means that they're wrong in your view or they're misguided. It doesn't always mean disrespect. Some people just Paul Feinbaum, that's straight disrespect. Yes. But that's him playing to his shtick. Like other people will disrespect Notre Dame. Not everybody's that way. I've never, I've never thought that the the CFB nerds guys disrespect Notre Dame with malice. I just think they're wrong sometimes and it comes across as disrespectful because I think they're incorrect but I don't think it, there's malice intended Ryan. I don't know if you've ever listened to the CFB Nerds show. I have not. It's it's okay. I mean, I can't listen to it when they do Notre Dame just cuz I know Notre Dame and I know just like, dude, come on, that's just a bad take. Yeah. You know, but but there's some of their other stuff is like I like I wish they were still the SEC guys cuz they mm-hmm. used to just be SEC guys. And you could kind of you you knew what you're getting into, you know, because like oh, you're SEC guys. There's gonna be bias, right? but their SEC breakdowns were really good because they had an SEC bias. So I mean they were given kind of both teams. they some really good stuff. I enjoyed it. And but you know, I don't think there's I don't think either one of those groups are disrespectful. Some people are disrespecting their name. I don't think either one of those two guys are. It sounds like from your reaction, you have listened to Josh Pate a little bit.
2: Yeah, do Pete's you agree okay. with my sentiment? I, I have no problem with Peyton. I, I think I think Arch, Archer just put in the chat that his power rankings are a model base. So it's like it's an analytics right. thing and that he yeah. actually stands up for Notre Dame a little bit. So like I don't like that because if you don't agree with your model, then like why do you have your model? Like that's my biggest thing. But I, I, I've listened to Peyton. He's fine. I have no issue with him personally. Yeah. It's, see, uh, right or wrong, this is the thing.
1: I don't need you to – and I've said this to Ryan before. I don't need you to agree with me. Mm-hmm. I just need you to have a reason why you don't. A, right. a valid, like something where I can say, I think you're wrong, but I understand where you're coming from. That's that's all I ever ask. And it's the same thing with non-Notre Dame people. You can think Notre Dame's not a top 10 team. I mean, look, there's there's I could make an argument for it. I don't believe it, but I can say, look, you're come you have gone 10 and nine against teams ranked in the top 20- 20, 10 and 10 against teams ranked in the top 25 the last five years. Mm-hmm. You're what one in six against top 10 teams. Your only win was a game where Trevor Lawrence, Mike Jones, Tyler Davis didn't play in the game. And you need a double overtime to win that one. Most of these games against top 10 teams that you've played in the regular season have not been competitive games. Okay. Yeah. Okay. I get that. What they then then we'll ignore is that, that every other team, not named Bama Clemson or Ohio state or Georgia has that same thing on their resume. Like, you know, don't pick Notre Dame apart and then still have AM in your top 10, right? Like, sorry. You can't get, you. I can't accept your criticism of Notre Dame when you have AM in your top 10 or USC in your top 10 or, well, Notre right. Dame doesn't win these big games. Yeah, but they've beat the crap out of USC the last five years. You know what I mean? So it's like, I can't go with you there, right? Apply the same standard. And I think sometimes Notre Dame doesn't have the same standard applied because I think some people just have a built-in bias that they don't even recognize. That, a, a bias like that is not disrespectful. It's just wrong, in my opinion. Right. It's sure. just inaccurate. And so I think that's why. And then the group thing starts. Like I remember when I predicted LSU, Notre Dame to beat LSU in 2014, I think there was only two people in the entire Notre Dame beat who picked Notre Dame to, to win. And some people say, well, you're just doing that because you always pick Notre Dame. I'm like, well, I do normally pick Notre Dame because it isn't very often that Notre Dame is the least talented team on the field that day. And I kind of look at it from a coach's standpoint. I've been honest about this. I look at it from a coaching standpoint. This is what I would do if I was coaching. And this is how you're going to get to the W. I never went into a game being like, we're going to get our butts kicked today. You know, I just, that's just how I look at it. But I genuinely believed after breaking down film that Notre Dame could play with that team because they were going to be healthier. They had a month off to recover from all the injuries. And I, and I didn't like that LSU team outside of Leonard Fournette. I was like, there's not a lot there that, that, that scares me. So I picked Mm -hmm. Notre Dame to win that game and guess what? They won. And so you get into this, well, George, Notre Dame has no chance. Remember that Notre Dame has no chance against George in 2019. I'm like, well, I think it's going to be a really close game. I predicted Notre Dame to win by a touch by a field goal and guess what? They had the ball at the 48-yard line with 2 minutes left with a chance to go make my my prediction correct and they couldn't get it done. The point was, however, is that was going to be a competitive game that a lot of people just assumed Notre Dame was going to get killed because that's the perception that has been created and to a degree, Ryan, it's a valid perception because of how Notre Dame has performed in some of these big games. My only thing is they're not alone because other teams have had like does does AM get the benefit of the doubt because they beat Bama? I'm sorry, but that benefit of the doubt was lost when you went and lo- when you get went and got beat by Mississippi State like a week or two later. Like, you know what I mean? Like, you know, you don't you don't get the benefit of the doubt. Oh, they beat Alabama. They lost four games last year. Like, okay, you beat Bama, right? Oh, all right, fine. You got your butts kicked. No, they lost b- the week before. You got your butts kicked by Arkansas. Then you went on the road and got smacked by Ole Miss,
2: and then you lost to
1: LSU. They'd already fired their coach. As you know, it's OSU like team.
2: Yeah.
1: your benefit of the doubt that you got for beating AM is gone, especially since AM, since Alabama, I mean, has curbstalled you the last few years. Like they're, they're literally hype is coming off of a, the COVID year. They've been a mediocre team outside of the COVID year. And so it's, but, but that's more of an SEC bias than it is a Notre Dame hate disrespect thing, right?
2: Would you, I mean, yeah, no, I agree. I agree. I, I don't think. <sighs> I mean there's there's separating factors to it, but I mean I agree with you for the most part. I think that there's just there's always an SEC bias because that's the people that you hear from. Like you mentioned Feinbaum. It's like, what did I expect Paul Feinbaum to say about Notre Dame? Did I expect him to ring the praises of of Notre Dame? Like he's an SEC guy. That's his stick. exactly. That's his focus. He's not trying to give you real
1: analysis. That's the thing. He's not trying to give you real analysis. I felt like when I listened to Josh, but I think I listened to like two shows. I felt like he was attempting to give honest, legitimate analysis, and and I agree with that. I enjoy shows like that. If I don't have to agree with you to like your show, as long as I feel like you're coming from a place of intellectual honesty and you're you've done your homework, there's guys
2: exactly the homework thing is the biggest thing for me. There's guys that have clearly done their homework and have clearly know the teams that they're talking about and then there's people that are just clearly just just putting a narrative right. out there about Notre right. Dame like Notre Dame hasn't done this in a long time Notre Dame is has lost these big games in recent years and that's all they know right mm-hmm. like they don't know who's their starting quarterback this year or what what coaching hires do they make in the offseason that all those factors that clearly matter but they don't want to talk about that. They want to right. talk about Notre Dame has not won a big game in X amount of years. Like That's what they want to talk about. A
1: lot about. of teams haven't done that. <laughs> you know? You're know, you not wrong. Uh, we'll not see. Wrong. We'll see. They won a big game two years ago, but then it's the well, yeah, but they didn't have Trevor. And that's fair. Right. I mean, I, I get it that. Is fair. that. I get was that. Fair. I get that. But a lot of other teams haven't done that, right? So, you know, they don't belong in the top three. They got to prove that. But they top five to seven easily. Like, yes. I can't go. I've said I can't go past seven. I, I I have a hard time having them lower than five. I mean, I even have a hard time accepting that Clemson's going to be better than them this year. I do, because this is not the same Clemson team. But I understand why Clemson gets more of the benefit of the doubt. I do, and I'm okay with it. I'm okay with it. So, but I can't go past seven, and and I can't accept anyone that's going to put Michigan State ahead of them. And it's the same argument we had last year, Ryan, when when we saw the North Carolina Iowa State hype. I was like, Iowa State hype. I was like, Nope, not going to happen. You're nuts. You're nuts if you think that team that wasn't that good last year is going to all of a sudden be in the top ten after losing all those players. An eight and four Carolina, team, the like the North Texas Carolina, A&M, was
2: wild, man.
1: North Carolina. They lost two thousand yard rushers, a thousand yard receiving, their leading tackler, but they're going to be better. Than, they're going to be top ten yes. teams after going yeah. eight and four.
2: It was wild, and they
1: man. got smacked wild. by Notre Dame at their place. And Kyle Hamilton got kicked out of the game in half before the halftime. Yep, And they still one out and won that game.
2: The North the North Carolina hype was so wild this offseason. season. Didn't understand that. No, Just didn't get it.
1: And, I mean, is the AM stuff any different?
2: No. They lost some pretty
1: good players off their team last year. They not, lost their defensive in, coordinator, until, and they weren't that good.
2: Not until they get a good quarterback in that room. Right. It's just not going to happen. Doesn't make any sense. I don't get it, man. Who's their quarterback this year? Is it the King? Did the King, it's have they named King, it? probably. Haynes King? I didn't know if they named yeah, him a Most likely. I know they, they had that freshman that came in, but I don't think he's going to. Oh, I love him. that kid. I don't think
1: yeah. he's going to start as a freshman, but I love that kid. Yeah. Connor Wegman, have you seen Wegman, him before? Yeah. I love
2: that kid. He was one of my favorite quarterbacks. I don't. I didn't have him number one. I had Kate Klubnick, but he was probably my favorite
1: quarterback in last year's class.
2: You know who's in? You know who's in in that quarterback room now is Max Johnson's. Also in that yeah. Quarterback oh, room he's
1: now. probably going to be the starter, don't
2: you think? Mac, if he's I, healthy. I think someone told me it's going to be Haynes King, most likely. Really, but I don't know wow. if they've announced that yet. But we'll see. I, I'll
1: tell you what. I I mean, Max Johnson beat a And last year. <laughs> Goodness gracious. <laughs> Oh, man. Yeah, he went 22 of 38 for 360 – 306 yards and three touchdowns. Jimbo is the most overrated quarterback guru in college football, and it's not even close. Yeah,
2: he lucked out with Jameis Winston for a couple years. Exactly, exactly. Even though – I mean, if you take a look at Jameis Winston, though, Jameis was fantastic as a retro freshman, but he took a huge step back as a retro sophomore. But Yep almost cost him a couple games, then got suspended. I mean, it just a lot of interceptions that year.
1: Yeah. Yep. 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 So uh, let's uh, here's about that. Jason Rose says, why does Notre Dame get hammered for beating Clemson without Trevor and other guys get, but Georgia gets the benefit of the doubt for beating Bama without Jamison and Mechie thoughts from you guys.
2: Because, because Georgia won the national championship. Right. I mean, that's, And, and and they had to beat other teams to
1: get there. They had to beat Michigan to get there. They had to beat teams in the regular season to get there. I think the other team thing, thing too is is Jason. It's the it's the the order. Mm-hmm. If if Georgia, let's say Bama didn't have Mechie and James and Williams for the SEC title game, mm-hmm. and Georgia beat them thirty three to eighteen, and let's just say somehow Alabama still made the national championship game, and and Alabama smacked them the way they did in the in the SEC title game then Georgia would probably be getting this, you know, like, oh, that Bama game doesn't mean anything. They didn't have Mechie and Jameson Williams. It's the order in which it happens, too. Like, if if Notre Dame would have lost to Clemson in the regular season and then beat them in the ACC title game, right, without Trevor, then I think the perception – you'd still be talking about the injury, but you'd still say, oh, you got the momentum of of winning that game. I think the timing of it matters, too. But I think Georgia's won enough big games to get the benefit of it out there. That's the other thing is is that I would say to this. They got two playoff wins now. I mean, th- well, three. But, I mean, even before the title game without that, they had two playoff wins. They beat Oklahoma they in 2017, on. and then yeah. they beat Michigan last year. Notre Dame has zero. That's yeah. the thing. Hey, look, it's real simple. If Notre Dame wants to stop having people say these things about them then freaking win these games. It's yep. not that hard. You know? I mean, no one cares that you beat an 8-5 and five LSU team or a 9-4 and four LSU team. Nobody cares. Beat them when they're good. Yep. And that's the key. And that's what I always loved about the bright. I oh, beat LSU twice. They were eight and five and nine and four. <laughs> Their quarterbacks were what was the Justin Jefferson and Danny Etling. You know, I mean, was it Jordan yeah. Jefferson? I always forget. Jordan was the older Jordan brother. Jefferson. You beat yeah. him and you beat Danny Etling barely. Danny, Et- you know, yeah, <laughs> that's a good one. Like, come on, man. I saw he's
2: still playing preseason football for someone. Yeah. good for him.
1: Yep. Yeah. So whatever. <laughs> Uh, Sheldon Hager, ninety-one. I think Archer's. be, Thank you for the super chat, Sheldon. I think Archer's becoming a closet Notre Dame fan. Just saying, I, I, I think, think, think he always has been. I think we might be able to convert him here in one of these days, man. I we'll have to see if Notre Dame wins, we're gonna make a hard push to. You know, that's the flip we're gonna try to make happen, Ryan. <laughs> right? If Notre Dame beats Ohio State, that's the flip we're gonna try to make happen. We're gonna nope. try to flip nope. Archer, Archer to Notre Dame. No nil money though, Archer. No, sorry, no, sorry, sorry. Mountain Dew's on it. Maybe on the table though. Might be able to get you something like that. You know what I mean? So we'll have, we'll have to see. Here's the here's the last question, Ryan, mm-hmm. for Matthew Lass. This is gonna be last question, and we gotta run everybody. It's been a fun show. Really, really appreciate you. Uh Ryan, if Notre Dame beats Ohio State on a scale of zero to ten, how insufferable will you be on Twitter and with 10 being the let's go with 10 being the highest?
2: Well, I'm I'm already insufferable on Twitter, so I'm gonna say I break the scale, sir. It's gonna be a 12. It's gonna be a 12 yeah. on Twitter if Honestly, I mean, like it's a joke, but like it will be the biggest win of my lifetime. Sure, probably, right? I mean, yeah. certainly of bigger... my adult life. Yeah. I mean, I was born in 91.
1: So, like I mean, your lifetime is is 93 Florida state,
2: but that game sure. you were two. Sure. Right. Of games that I am old enough to remember, this would be the biggest win. What right. is the biggest yes. one up to this point in time, Ryan? I don't know, Brian. I don't know. The I, I, what's the biggest one? Um, I mean they the, they beat they beat the defending national
1: champion Michigan in '98, but you were still pretty young. Yes, you I probably I don't, remember don't remember that, that one. one, right?
2: Like Stanford with the goal line stand, Stephon Taylor sure. was a big win in my in USC my books, 2017. Right. Yeah, that was right. a big so win in my eleven books, win, but like.
1: Yeah. yeah, do you do you remember the Michigan win in
2: 05? No, no. Okay. Someone just put uh, 2012 o- Oklahoma. Sure, yeah, that was yeah. A, that was I a good still one.
1: think the Stanford game was bigger than that. I, I, they I, were both big that yeah. year.
2: So I'll, I'll yeah, yeah. But like I said, the Stanford one Stanford was, like, was a better team. In my head, because I was like, yeah. stopping Stephon Taylor at the goal line was like. Yeah, awesome. two
1: reasons why Stanford's the bigger win, Ryan. For me, I know one was on the road. Number, I didn't think Oklahoma was that good. They were ten and three. They were not that good. That that they were ranked higher at the time, but Stanford was ranked much higher at the end. Stanford was a top mm-hmm. ten team at the end. And the other part of this is Stanford just owned Notre Dame. I mean they they beat them in 0-9, blew them out in two thousand ten, blew them out in two thousand eleven, blew them out. Or let's see, let's see, they. Last time they had been in a competitive game was 08, really. And then you go out and you beat them. I mean, that had been your kryptonite. I mean, they had mm-hmm. been your kryptonite. That was the dragon you needed to slay. And that, I think that game then led to the win over Oklahoma. I don't think they beat Oklahoma if they, if they lose to Stanford. I don't, I don't think they would have had the confidence they needed to do that. I really don't. You're probably right. But I still stay Stanford was probably that Stanford 2012 was probably the best team that Brian Kelly beat. In my opinion, I, I know, I know 13 and one Michigan state the next year was a really good team, but they weren't that good of a team. I mean, the big, it wasn't a great year then. in the big 10. Yeah. Uh, I, I, I didn't think it was. Um it, Especially at you know. the time, that wasn't a huge win. They weren't even a top like, 10 when, team. Like yeah. when they
2: beat them, I was like, oh, that's, that's cool. That's they good. were unranked.
1: I mean, Michigan yeah, State was exactly. unranked. Now shouldn't have been, exactly. but they were. But yeah, I remember I still... when they
2: beat... When they beat Stanford and stops Fonteir at the goal line, though, I was yeah. just like, "Oh man,
1: this is, might be different. This year might be different." And the I mean. first big win is always the most memorable. Usually, you know that's why '88 Miami, even though I was younger, was more memorable for me than '93 Florida State, just because it was the first one. Like by '93, you kind of expect the Notre Dame to win that game if you were Notre Dame fan. You're like, why are they? Un- why are they the underdog? They beat Colorado. They beat Miami a couple times. They've beat foot. You know, they had proven that they shouldn't have been disrespected in that game. If I mean, right. you could even put it that way. If if they were so, um, you I, know, it
2: just like my my earliest memories are like the last year, maybe of Bob Davies era, and then ooh. going into Tyra Willingham. So like, it's ooh. it's been rough, man. It's, it's not yeah. been great. Hasn't been great.
1: Well, I know Michigan in 2006 was ranked really high. They ended up not being yeah. good that year, but that that's one for me. That that even though Michigan wasn't good that year, Mm -hmm. it was memorable to me because Notre Dame had been so bad and at the time. Michigan was ranked number three. Mm. And so you went on the road, you beat the number three Michigan team, because at the time we didn't know that Michigan was going to be kind of just okay that year. Michigan ended up uh, going seven and five that year under Mm -hmm. under Coach Carr they yep. weren't a great team. Lost to Wisconsin by 3. I mean they lost a lot of close games. Lost to Wisconsin by 3, lost to Minnesota by 3, lost to Ohio State by 4. Uh, lost to Nebraska by by 4. I mean they were a good team that year, but they weren't a great team. They were again, they lost 5 games. Right. But when you're watching that game, you're like this is the this is a number 3 Michigan team, right? This is a Michigan team coming off of a 9 and 3 year uh, you know had had if you remember correctly, they played in one of the best Rose Bowls I've ever seen the year before against Vince Young in Texas. Lost 38-37. Mm-hmm. Like, that was a huge... That was a great game. And you're like, this Michigan team's going to be good. And they went out and Notre Dame beat them 17-10. I thought outplayed them the whole game. Only negative was Raymond McKnight got hurt in that game. But you're like, oh my gosh, this is a big, big win for Notre Dame. This is huge. And then, of course, Charlie goes out the next week and loses at home to Michigan State in overtime. But... That was a big. That was a big one at the time. I thought a big one at the time. Somebody said 2012 Florida State. That was another one that was considered a big game. Yeah, Greg. Like, because again, it was it was one of those ones where, Ryan, I don't know if you were you probably don't remember this game either, do you? The 2002 Notre Dame Florida State game. I've joked about this before. I got in trouble that game because I kept checking my phone for updates. It's like back when they were like the green and black screens and all that kind of stuff. (laughs) I kept checking my phone. We were playing Gettysburg, and I kept checking my phone to see what the score of that game was. I I didn't start doing that till the second half. We won 45 to nothing. I didn't start checking my phone until it was like, okay, we're we're, game's over. Uh, But, you know, you're going into that. Notre Dame was kind of having that rebound season under tie. They had started the season off, you know – you're feeling pretty good about your team you climb them all the way to number six you're playing at number 11 Florida State people still aren't believing in Notre Dame and not only they beat them but like they smacked them pretty good like they I mean it's early in the game I think it was Carlo Holiday threw a bomb to Arnaz Battle and you're just like oh my gosh they got a shot Ryan Grant was running on Florida State that day that was a big one that was a really big one 93 Florida State and 88 Miami are the two for me of the two biggest games of, of my tenure. I mean, even bigger than West Virginia in 88, which was the national title game. But those were the two big ones because those were the dominant teams that everybody, you know, nobody thought in their name could beat. So those would be the ones for me. But as far as um, the original question, Ryan, I, I'm, I am, uh, I'm probably going to stay off Twitter after that game. Oh, I'm not. <laughs> but I am going, if Notre Dame wins, and again, we'll see. Uh, you know, we'll see if they win. But if they win, I'm going to I'm gonna have some fun on that post-game show. I will say that. <laughs> I will say that. So, yeah. I'm not going to be insufferable.
2: I mean, I'm going to be intolerable. Very yes. different. Very different. Yes, yes.
1: I'm going to probably stay off Twitter regardless, just because I don't want to be that guy that, Stays off Twitter if they lose, but goes on if they win. I that I don't want to wow. be that guy. I have uh, no problem being that. Yeah, guy. that's There's all right. No to each their own, guy. man. It's all good. <laughs> to each their own. It's just not my style. But uh, you know, uh, my ad. Let's just say I'm uh, my attitude on the uh, post game show is gonna be a little bit different. But, but look, end of the day, in all seriousness, if Notre Dame wants people to stop disrespecting them, then this is the kind of game you have to show out. And if you really want people to respect you, like Notre Dame will gain respect if they have a competitive close loss like Florida state in 2014, but I'm tired of almost winning being, or, you know, barely losing being the thing you hang your hat on. I'm tired of that. And I, I don't want to hear that anymore. I mean, it'll be a, it'll be good for the program if it's a competitive win, but for me, it, it won't be satisfying. It's it's time to start winning. It's time to start winning these games and that's, that's where I'm going to be. And so uh, somebody says, has Brian seen the national championship? Yes. Yes. 1988. I, that was the year I became a Notre Dame fan. So I remember the Miami game that year. I remember the Michigan game. there. I remember Ricky waters punt return for touchdown. I remember, you know, the, especially remember the USC game. I watched it on one of those big satellite TVs at my friend Jamison Jennings house. I still remember that to this day. And then I remember the West Virginia game, but West Virginia game was kind of like uh, it was sort of anticlimactic. You'd already beat Miami. You've already beat Michigan. You'd already beaten USC. That's like three top, three teams you know like Michigan I think it was ranked second when our name beat them and Miami was ranked number one and then USC was ranked number two is like West Virginia <laughs> you know I was 10 right you know what did I know major Harris who the heck is major Harris you know what I mean so uh, uh that was a little bit anticlimactic because that was the game you're supposed to win you had already beaten the, the good teams to kind of get there and beat the team that of course you were gonna beat uh, so I I remember that season that was the I he was said, why, why, why don't you talk about Tim Brown? He only played here because I was, I don't know. I just didn't, I didn't watch college football really until 1988. That was when I, my first memory of actually watching college football. So, um, yeah, so that's, uh that's one. So anyway, that is, that is going to do it. Uh, really appreciate all of you all, um, uh, joining the show today. This was a lot of fun, a lot of, a lot of great, a lot of great, um, and hey, Jamison Jennings didn't show me the way. They weren't Notre Dame fans. They were they were Ohio State fans. But they, I was friends with Jamison, and they let I watched it at his house. But they were not they were not Notre Dame fans. I don't believe they were Notre Dame fans. So anyway, my dad is the reason I was a Notre Dame fan, as we've explained on the show before. So Ryan, that is it for today's show, man. A long marathon mailbag, but lots of great questions. Uh, a lot of great questions we couldn't get to, and we apologize, to everybody. But. Um, I'm I I gotta go. I, I'm tapped out, Ryan. It's Friday. It's been a long week, uh, and I've got more. I you know I'm gonna be on on tonight at seven o'clock with Tiger Bait with Preston Guy at Tiger Bait talking about my uh, my comments about uh, about Notre Dame and just uh, LSU and Brian Kelly and all that type of stuff. So. Check that out. Sign up for the message boards, everybody, boards at IrishBreakdown.com. Hit that like button, hit the subscribe button, hit the notification bell, share this podcast. We published three new podcasts today on the CFB Nation channel. So John Garcia and I recorded, we got done like around 1130 last night recording, but he basically talked about the number one ranked recruiting class. And we broke down Alabama, we broke down Ohio State, Texas, Notre Dame, Miami's a dark horse. So we put all those up on the CFB Nation podcast channel. We cut up each one of those breakdowns individually to go on the YouTube channel. So if you're not signed up for those, everybody, go check it out. Some really good content. And of course, we have our normal podcast stuff for irishbreakdown.com. So uh, hit that like button, hit that subscribe button, hit the notification bell, share this podcast, sign up for the message board. And uh, thank you everybody for Ryan Gunn's Top Gun Fun today. So uh, we we will make sure that Ryan gets to go see Top Gun here very soon. Uh, And um, we'll talk to you all again soon. So we'll see you all. Oh, hey, there she is. Hey, girl. So we will see. Uh, we will see all of you hopefully tonight at seven o'clock at, with uh, Preston at Tiger Bait. Uh, tomorrow ten a.m. we will have the IB uh, countdown to kick off with Sean Sires and Vince Dare. I will join for the second half to talk to preview the season. And then after that, Ryan, you and I probably sometime seven, sometimes Sunday night, Ryan and I will be get together for our season preview as well. And then Monday we kick off our normal coverage, and uh, we're going to ask Julie Jules to get her uh, her analysis and predictions for the season. Ryan, I fully expect you to have Jules to make her predictions as well for the season. So um, that is what we will – that's what we will be doing for uh, for this weekend. So uh, for Ryan, Jules, Brian, you all have a great day, and we will talk to you again very, very soon.